Hey, as you're taking your Bible, looking into the book of Genesis again, we're continuing our discussion on Abraham, um, but specifically what God's purpose and his plan was from the creation of the world and how Christ Jesus would impact. As you're, as you're uh, looking in your, in your Bible or looking on your tablet or, or smartphone for uh, the passage, um, just kind of a, I guess a kudos or a word of encouragement to uh, members of our Common Ground class for the Women's Craft Cafe that they did yesterday. Um, I wasn't here. We were out of town yesterday, but I saw a lot of pictures. And it, all in all, if you're part of the Common Ground class, thank you for your leadership and pulling that and bringing that together. We had several women here yesterday morning, several visiting women that were here. And, and other ladies of our church, if you brought somebody, if you were here and you're part of it, Thank you. Thank you for helping make it a success. And, and also, the men that were here to help, I saw several of you uh, have good skill with hair dryers, even though your haircut is similar to mine. It looks like uh, you, did a, you did know how to use that thing that blows hot air out of there. So uh, uh, it, was a, it looked to be a very good event. And um, thank you again to, to our Common Ground class. I know uh, William and Janice aren't here, but uh, thank you uh, for all that were part of it. Genesis chapter 17 is where we're going to be today. and We're covering a, a, a lengthy passage of scripture, but it's one that deals with God's covenant to Abram and, and how, God, uh, how God delivers on his promises and, and how God interacts with us as, as part of being his people. And it says this, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and between you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Let's pray together. Father, God Almighty, we thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to your people. You made us in your image. You gave us a promise. You issued individual promises to your servants through the ages and delivered in Christ Jesus the eternal promise to bless us, to protect us, to make us your own. So Father, we are here to look at your covenant and we ask that you would secure in our hearts the position that we have as your covenant people, as your children. May we be willing to bring others to the covenant of God as well. And we ask all this in the name of Christ, amen. 
So we're looking at this passage of scripture and we're going to be covering Genesis all of 17 and then the first 15 verses of chapter 18 because we're looking at what God does with this covenant and how he appears to Abram. So we've got six different things we're going to look at. We're going to hit the main point and then we're going to kind of connect it to our hearts over four statements there at the bottom. All of this centers around what God does with covenants. What does it mean that God would make a covenant? Who is God that he could even even make a covenant. If you've not been with us on Sunday morning over the last couple of months, as we, or several months now, I believe we started in September with this study through Genesis, we've looked from creation all the way down to how God made us, what God's design for us was in giving us the promise that there would be one that would crush the head of the serpent. There would be one that would put an end to this cycle of sin. Guess what? Sin affects every single one of us. All of us are sinners, all of us have sinned, and all of us live in the effects of sin. We have a penal code because there is sin in the world. We have body ailments because our bodies are failing because there is sin in the world. We all live under the curse of sin. But that was not what God's initial thought for us would be, that we would be a cursed and afflicted people. So he made a series of promises, first to the woman in Genesis chapter 3, between your seed and the seed of the serpent, I will put enmity the serpent will bruise his heel but he will crush his head Woo, that's a good one to Abram earlier in chapter 12 and again in chapter 15 I will make you a great nation and I will promise you a child for all time and even last week, as we looked at the faithlessness of Abram going into his wife's handmaid, Hagar, and, and trying to procure the child for Hagar, for Sarah, that way. I mean, remember the lie that Sarah believed? I can be built up based on somebody else. And really, we're built up by who God made us and what God has done in our lives. And we get here in this passage of Scripture, and over these next few verses, we're going to see several things, six different things about this God and this covenant. And it starts with this. God comes to Abram to establish his covenant. He comes to Abram in order to make a covenant with him. He says there in verse one, Abram was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant with you. I want you to think about something now. I want you to think very carefully with me here. Abram is 99 years old. He has been waiting for decades now for this son that God has been promising. That was the whole thing with, with uh, Sarah and Hagar. He was 86 years old and that son still wasn't there. And Sarah said, you're not getting a kid out of me. I'm too old, so take Hagar. But God said, that's not what I told you, son. And he comes and he says, I am making this covenant with you. He says in this passage of scripture, I will establish my covenant between me and between you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his faith in God, face and God talked to him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations and then changes his name from Abram, the father of many to Abraham, the father of nations. See, we, we want to do a lot of things for ourselves, but God always does more. We, we, we want to control and to manipulate, but God says it's all in my hand and I will give you far and above and exceedingly more than you ever hoped, imagined, or dreamed, Abram. So I'm gonna call you Abraham. And he says to Abram, he says, I'm gonna make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. Man, that's a pretty good promise, right? Not just nations, 
But kings, whoo. Man, what if somebody came to you and said, your son's going to be a king one day? I know what you're doing. You're already plotting out where in the palace you're going to live. Yep, I know. And you're already figuring out which, which one of the, how many servants you're going to have to come and serve you because your child's going to be the king, right? He says, I will establish my covenant. Notice the nature of the covenant with Abram has to do with what? Who God is. He says there in verse eight, 7, to be God to you and your descendants after God's covenant centers around who he is. He is almighty God. He's almighty God. There's no covenant without this almighty God. And he comes to him and says, I will give you this land. I'll give you the descendants. Why? Because I am God. I will make this covenant with you, not because you're special, Abram, because remember, you gave your wife to Pharaoh. You remember what happened? You went into another woman. You took her to be your wife. No, no, it's not because you're great. It's because I am God. God comes to Abram to make the covenant. And then he gives a symbol. Verse nine, it says, God further said to Abram, now for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which shall you shall keep between me and between your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you who is eight days old should be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born into your house who who was bought with money from any foreigner who was not of your descendants. A servant who was born in your house who was bought with your money should surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people for he has broken my covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham, but then God gives a symbol or a sign of the covenant. And, and this was a private sign, and this was an intimate sign, and it had to deal with, with the foreskin of the flesh of, of the male anatomy. I know we've got some younger kids in here, so I want to, the adults, you know what I'm talking about. This was a covenant to be a sign that would take shape, that would say, this is how we know that I am part of the covenant with God, how I'm part of the descendants of Abraham. Now, we, we have medical reasons, and there are, there are other reasons now that people uh, choose to go for circumcision for their sons as their sons are born. But in the day of Abraham, notice what God says. When they become eight days old throughout their generations, this is something that has to take place to show that you are of my people. Jesus himself himself, born to Mary and Joseph, born from above, but in the flesh, born to Mary and Joseph on the eighth day was taken to the temple for the rite of purification through the circumcision. This was how God showed his covenant people who they were. But notice what he says in verse 14, verse 13. He says, my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. This was not a temporary sign. 
This was not something that would pass away. See, time and time again throughout the Old Testament, you find the people of Israel building stone monuments, uh, uh, erecting a a pillar of stone or something for a specific purpose. So like when the people of Israel, when they crossed, when they took the promised land, the book of Joshua, when they crossed the river Jordan, once they got to the other side, each one, uh, representative of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, piled up the 12 stones that they carried across from the river so that one day they could point back and say, you see that pillar? That's where our people came across into the promised land. That's where God delivered us in. And so later on, it could be used as a symbol. But anybody could have gone and knocked the tent, not not the little pile of rocks over, right? Anybody ever build a sandcastle at the beach? It doesn't last very long. Especially if you've got young kids, they want to tear it up as soon as you turn the bucket over with the sand in it. They're ready to tear it up. But even if they don't, the waves will come crashing in and they will remove it because it can be removed. It's temporary. But what Abram has done to him as a sign of the covenant is something in his flesh that is a daily and perpetual reminder on his body, in his body, I am a member of the covenant of God. And for the people of Israel, it was, to be a, it was to be a continued sign. It was to be a continued point to who God was and who they were as children of God. See, we look for all these signs and symbols and, and we have symbols for everything. You know, I've, got this, I've got this ring that I wear. It's a symbol that I have made a covenant with Christy that she is my wife and I am her husband. There's no other woman for me. There's no other man for her. That this is the covenant into which we entered. But the thing is about this ring is it will fall off. Some of you have heard me share before that this is my second one. The first one broke, you know. that The marriage didn't, but the ring did. This is something external. This is something that can realistically be temporary. I know some of you uh, more modern folks, and my modern don't mean just young, because I think a a couple of our not as young adults have this, have gone as far as to to get the the tattooed wedding band, right? Well, that's permanent, right? You get that that ink done on your finger or whatever, it's not there. Now, you know, hopefully you can pay to get it removed if your marriage fails, but you know, it's there, right? To be permanent. See, this symbol that God gave was to be carried for all the generations of the people of Israel as a visual in the flesh reminder that this covenant does not end. Once the circumcision took place, you cannot undo it. There's no reversal. You're in the covenant of God and God has continued to make his covenant that you are his people, people of Abraham, people of Israel. And because of that, here is your symbol so that you know there's no leaving, there's no forsaking the covenant of God. God does not forsake. But then he goes on a little bit further and he talks about Sarah and God reveals that Sarah will be the mother of the promised child. Look at what happens in verse 15. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, or princess is literally what Sarah means, shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? These are legitimate questions, right? Abram's 99. He's like, okay, I know it takes nine months for a baby to be born. 
That's going to put me at 100. Sarah's already 90. <laughs> yeah, you got to be kidding me, right? If it was modern day, he'd be looking for the hidden camera. You know, he'd be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm on some TV show or something. But he, he laughs and he asks some legitimate questions. How is this going to take place? I'm 100. Sarah's 90. The, the time for her to give birth has passed. Maybe you, today you feel that the time for God to deliver his promise has passed. But God has said here, I will give you a son through Sarah. When God makes his promise, it is as good as done. Furthermore, look at what happens to him. It says this, you will not call her Sarah, but Sarah. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. The word that he uses there for blessing is as though the blessing has already taken place. It's already happened. Don't wait for it. The blessing is already placed. Did God make a promise to you, a sure promise by his word? Not some dream, not some want, not some wish that we all crave and we all desire, we all want. A legitimate promise from the word of God that he has given, it is already happening. God says here, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, a king of peoples. I want you to see something about the Sarah figure here. The words that God use pronounce a blessing on her that is normally reserved from the, for the male line in a patriarchal society such as Abraham's. But what God has just demonstrated, what God has just demonstrated by changing her name to Sarah from Sarai and by pronouncing the blessing upon her is to say, she is part of my covenant too. It's not just you, Abraham. See, in God's economy, in God's circle, in God's way of doing things, God has established that there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free. We are all united in him. The covenant is for all, period. And he says, Sarah's gonna be the mother of this baby. So you, you thought 13 years ago that it was gonna be Hagar, but no, it's going to be Sarah. And she says, he says there, he says, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might be the one to live before you. But God said, no, Abram, Abraham, Sarah, your wife will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Anybody know what Isaac's name means? He laughed. He laughed. Now, I've been told that in Native American culture, um, children received their name because the father, whatever the first thing that he saw when he looked out of the teepee at birth, that's what the name was. So like sitting bull, or apparently there was a bull sitting down over here. Or, um, or um, panting dog. I mean, there was a dog over there going. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if, if, if your name, when you're born, is Daddy Laughed, <laughs> hey, there he is, that's a kid. It's because Abram, even though he had faith accredited him to righteousness, he laughed at the idea that God could deliver what God promised. And for a continued reminder of God's promise through Sarah and how Sarah was the part of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, he gave Abram and Abraham the name to give his son Isaac. But God also protects Ishmael. Notice he says there in verse 20, 
as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Now, he was legitimately a child of Abraham. He was not the promised child. He was not the promised son. He was not the one through whom the covenants would be delivered, but he was of the bloodline and therefore he was under the covenant, the covering that Abraham had provided. It's as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Remember, the name Ishmael remember, is, is literally he hears or God has heard. He said, I've heard you and I will bless him and I will make him fruitful and, he will, and I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. God provides for this other son, even though he wasn't the chosen son, even though he wasn't the promised son, he protects Ishmael, the son Ishmael, through his covenants. But he comes back and says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Isaac. And I know this introduces the the, the, the questions of why does God prefer one or the other? Why is it that later on we have that, that Esau is the firstborn of Isaac, but Jacob is the one that is chosen? Why is it that J Joseph is the 11th born of, of, of Jacob, but, uh, but he's the one that's chosen? Why is it later in the book of Romans that, that, that Paul writes of what God says, like, Jacob, I have love and Esau, I have hated. Why, why does that come into play? I want you to see clearly why. My covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear. Ishmael is protected, but Isaac is the chosen one because Sarah was the rightful wife of Abram, Abraham, to whom the covenant was given. But he says, Sarah will bear to you at this time, this season, next year. But what does Abraham do? Here's Abraham. He's just intervened with God yet again. This is now the fifth time he's been promised a son, promised a child. And this is now at the age of 99 when he's given the direct line. It's going to be from Sarah, even though you're 99 and she's 90. So, 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 so what do we do with this? What does Abraham do? Notice what he says in verse 23. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Abraham immediately enters into God's covenant. Abraham provides for us an example of what it means to hear the voice of God and act. Too often we kind of kick the tires and hem and haul and lay out Gideon's fleece and we kind of come up with every excuse for not to do why we shouldn't do what God has led us to do or what God has shown us to do. But here Abraham is given a not very comfortable uh, description of what needs to take place and he does it. And just... Men in the room, just imagine with me just for just one second. You're part of Abraham's greater tribe, so to speak. You've been working along with him, and here you are, and 99-year-old Abraham says, I've got this word from God, and all of us have to be circumcised in the flesh of our foreskin. And everybody looks at Abraham and says, uh, excuse me? And Abraham says, this is the will of God. Now, don't you think about the leadership that Abraham has to establish here in providing the example and doing it himself as a 99-year-old man to demonstrate that God's covenant actually means something. 
See, most of us can't get past where we are because we've not taken that step of obedience that God has placed before us. Most of us run the same circle, the same loop. Many churches run the same circle, the same loop because they have not stepped out in obedience to what God has shown. This is who you are as my people. This is what I've asked you to do. Abram says, I'm not wasting any time. It says in the very same day, Abraham stepped into the covenant. And then we get to chapter eight. Chapter eight is really cool. It says here, then the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent of his door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And then, uh, and they said to him, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. And Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and hurried to prepare it. He took, excuse me, curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing there by them under the tree as they ate. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said to them, there she is in the tent. And he said, he, one of the, the visitors said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, but and Sarah was well past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I indeed bear a child while I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And at this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. But he said to her, no, you did laugh. See, at this point, God sends messengers to Abraham that, that show him and demonstrate and to confirm that his promise to Abraham was real. We have an opportunity here to see once again, for the second time in the life of, life of Abraham, an appearance of the Christ before the incarnation with, through Mary, that he came and he appeared. Because what we'll find next week is that two of the angels, two of the messengers, go on into Sodom and Gomorrah and not the third one. The third one, I believe, as the Bible says here, clearly it says that the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? We have the confirmation that God takes his promise serious enough that this instant takes place. And notice it says the same thing twice in this passage as it said earlier, this time next year, the child will be born. God sends messengers to confirm his promise to Abraham. So, so what's the point of all this? What, what, what are we trying to glean from all of, this, all, all of this discussion of Abraham and these covenants in God? Simply this, God seals his promises to fallen humanity through everlasting covenants. God seals his promises to fallen humanity through everlasting covenants. Now, here's something that we've got to take away from this. What, what exactly is a covenant? How, how do covenants take form and take shape? 
there are four principles or there are four parts to a covenant. There is a vow, there's a promise that's made. There's a public witness. There, there, there are people that are around. There are others that, that, that can attest to the covenant that's made. There is a symbol or a sign that is provided. And then there is a change of name. And what we have here is that God enters into the life of Abraham, who was a fallen human being, who was a, a human being that was governed by sin, just like us, that lived in a sinful society, that had sinful tendencies, just like us, and seals a promise with him by saying this, I will establish my covenant between me and between you. He seals all this with a covenant. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have entered into a covenant with God that is symbolized and is, is ratified by the same four things, a vow, a public witness, a symbol, and a, and, and a name change. Like, what are you talking about, Evan? Where do you see all this? Let's look together. First, you and I have to understand there's no such thing as a private covenant with God. There's no such thing as a private covenant with God. Notice in this passage of scripture that Abraham was not left to have these desert wanderings by himself. It wasn't just old man Abraham sitting out under the trees, kind of going a little loopy on people and seeing things and just living his life and doing his own thing. Oh yeah, God, you promised me a child and I'll do this uh, circumcision thing, that's fine. There was a public witness because all of the men of the house had to be grafted in by their, by their acceptance of the circumcision. There was a public witness that took place that day. But when you came to faith in Christ, there was something public that had to happen. The reason most of us do not advance in our faith is because most people don't know that we have faith. A lot of people don't know we have faith. They know where we stand politically. They know where we stand on the Super Bowl. They know where we stand uh, with this or that. We know, they know how we stand with, uh, with, with fashion. They know how we identify with music and singers and all this. But what do they know about our faith? We operate under a private covenant with God. And, and can I just be real with you just for a second? This is where too often to the detriment of our public testimony of faith, we have placed such a great priority and a great premium on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ within the church that we forgot the public sphere in which we live. Now, let me be clear with you. You don't get to heaven. You don't get to glory. You don't get to salvation based on what somebody else did with Jesus. Grandma might have been a great follower of Christ, but grandma can't save you. Her faith cannot save you. Mama's faith cannot save you. Daddy's faith cannot save you. Your brother's faith cannot save you. Your husband's faith cannot save you. Your wife's faith cannot save you. It is between you and God only through the blood of Christ Jesus, period. But it doesn't stay there. See, when we enter into baptism, we've, we've had several baptisms over the last year. I believe we baptized 12 here last year uh, in 2018. All of those were public identifications of who they are in Christ. There is a public witness. The question that you and I have to ask is, does anybody know that I'm a Christian? Do my coworkers know that I'm a Christian? 
They might know that I wear a certain team color on Friday before, before a game. They might know that I post political stuff on social media. They might know that I prefer Ford over Chevy. They might know some of these things, but do they know about the covenant that God has made with me through the blood of Christ Jesus? Do they know I'm a Christian? If they don't, got some work to do. If they don't, you've got to ask yourself, am I truly in the covenant or am I just hanging out around the covenant hoping that it bleeds over on me a little bit? We took the kids to, uh, to Great Wolf Lodge for Addison's birthday this weekend. And um, it doesn't really matter where you are in the, the water park area, you're going to get wet. You don't have to be going down the slide. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be standing around where the, in the, what do they call that? Lazy River. There are enough water gadgets and hoses and sprinklers and shooters everywhere that it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to get wet just a little bit. But that getting wet just a little bit does not apply to the blood of Christ. You've got to be fully immersed into this public testimony witness of who he is and what he's done. There's no such thing as a private covenant. Second thing we see here is that heart orientation, the orientation of your heart and my heart, is central to the new covenant. Notice what he says here in this passage of scripture. He says, my covenant shall be in your flesh. This is verse 13. For an everlasting covenant. He's talking specifically about the circumcision. I love the way that Moses says it over in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Because Moses understood that it wasn't just the physical. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. This is the same Moses that just a few chapters earlier in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6 wrote, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But now he says, you can only do that through the circumcised heart. We go over just a little bit further over to the book of Jeremiah. book of Jeremiah chapter 4, as God is speaking to the people of Israel, he says, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, and you should return to me, if you put away your detested things from my presence, and you will not waver, and you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then the nations will bless themselves in him, and in him they will glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your hearts. Men of Judah inhabits of Jerusalem or else my wrath will go fire, forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. See, it's not just something on the outside because any of us can, you, you remember a few years ago, uh, I say a few years ago, it's been like 20 years ago now, the WWJD bracelets? Or, or as Medea says, what's wrong with Jermaine Dupree? Um, what would Jesus do, right? That was in the Medea movie, come on. It's a good one. Yeah, like y'all don't watch Medea. What would Jesus do? Then a few years ago, they came out with the little rubbery plastic ones, right? 
that you could have stamped or printed with about anything. And you, man, you name the cause, man. Whatever the cause is, you get your own little armband or whatever. And it's all right there. Or, or, or maybe you got your cross. You got your gold chain with, with your cross. It was a Michael W. Smith song about 30 years ago. Uh, what's your line? Tell me why you wear your cross of gold. Is it a state of mind or does it find a way into your soul? Is it just something you wear as a fashion icon or is it something that's real? Because we can all put on something external. The circumcision for Abraham was something external to mark something that was internal. You can get in the water up here, but that's just water. That's something external that has to be demonstrated from something internal. The orientation of your heart was the purpose of the covenant. God was not so much, so much interested in what you did on the outside if it wasn't transformed by the inside. The connection is the heart. It is where we are as followers of Christ, which is why Paul says in Romans chapter two, that's why he says, hey, you can be a Jew as to the law, but it's about the circumcision of the heart. Third, we find God's covenant promises new life because of the forgiveness of sin accomplished at the cross. God's covenant promises new life because of the forgiveness of sin accomplished at the cross. See, what was the promise that was given to Abraham? Remember, all of these covenants, they have a public witness, they have a symbol, and they have a name change, and they have a vow. What was the promise to Abraham? I will bless your people. You will be the father of a great multitude. I will be your God, and you will be my people. What is the promise of the gospel? that you will have life everlasting and the forgiveness of sins. You will have life everlasting because the forgiveness of sins has been accomplished. Paul says over in Romans chapter 10. If I can get to Romans 10, there it is. What does it say? This is verse eight. The word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is the word of faith we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, not your head, your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever believes in him that Christ is the son of God, that his death was sufficient, that his death would cover your sin, that his death would be forgiveness for your sin. And just so you know, there's not like this hidden list of sins that God doesn't forgive. It, it doesn't matter if it's sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if it's drunkenness. It doesn't matter if it's gossiping. It doesn't matter if it's lying. It doesn't matter if it's gluttony. It doesn't matter if it's pride. All of them are sin, and all of them are forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. My sins are not worse than your sins. My sins are sins. Your sins are sins. And the blood he shed covered them all. Every single one. Past, present, future. Sins you don't even know you're going to commit next week, he's already died to forgive. Sins that you think make you untouchable in society, he already died to forgive. If you believe in your heart that God could save you through the blood of Christ, that God raised him from the dead because he is Lord, 
you'll be saved. Because the book of Hebrews says this in chapter nine. It says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Here's what you need to understand right now. It says that Abraham was given a sign of circumcision, a covenant in the flesh for an everlasting covenant. And it says in verse 23 that Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. You know what happens when there's a circumcision? There's blood. There is the shedding of blood. God ratifies his covenant with fallen humanity through the shedding of blood. The difference is it wasn't your blood that had to be shed, it was his. It wasn't your sin-stained blood, it was his perfect blood. It wasn't your, your blood that was muddied and mired by all of the unrighteousness of being human. It was the pure, undefiled blood of the Son of God. His covenant was made through blood because it gave new life as he forgave you for your sin. And because of that, you and I have a new identity because of God's redeeming covenant in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. Now I want you to think through this with me just a second. What, what, was, our, what was our public witness? That we came forward in faith that there is not a private covenant. He gave us a symbol he gave us a sign. It wasn't a bracelet. It wasn't a cross of gold that we run around our neck. It was a circumcised heart. It was a transformation on the inside that he gave to us. He made a promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. Your sins have been washed away. You are forgiven. But now he has said, it's not just that you're forgiven. You are my child. Abraham went from being Abram to Abraham. Sarah went from Sarah to Sarah. You and I went from people who were not of the people of God to people of the covenant of God because we, as Paul says in Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 14, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we have been given a spirit of adoption as sons by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. We get to go to God as our dad. We get to call upon him by name. He is the great I am. He is the almighty. He is the sovereign. He is the one that says, come to me. I will give you rest because you are my child. So why do we labor in false covenants that are made in this world when God has fulfilled his promises by sealing us in the covenant of blood of Christ.